Good morning, it's Emmett. So yesterday, this beautiful book arrived in the mail called Voluntary Simplicity. I, I can't remember the guy's name. It's up in my shop because uh, I'm planning to read a couple pages of it each day. And it was sent to me out of the blue by somebody whose name I can't remember. Um, and I've searched back through my DMs uh, where I, I remember they asked me for my address and I can't find them. So if that was you and you're listening to this, please reach out again uh, and let me know so I can thank you. Um, there's just too many DMs between when you asked and 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 now, and I, I can't find your handle. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember. The book is beautiful, though, and I'm really touched that somebody saw it and decided to get it for me. Um, and it made me want to talk about voluntary simplicity today. Because so many of us are, are, well, all of us have had our lives simplified in some ways. Ooh, a blue jay feather, a really beautiful one too. One of the like wing ones that's half black, half blue. I'll bring that back for the girls. So many of us have had our lives um, simplified in some ways and vastly complicated in other ways. So it's worth thinking about voluntary simplicity um and and what it what it is for and what it can possibly do for us as i understand it and i'm i'm obviously haven't read the book yet just have started it voluntary simplicity is choosing to do less and have less and to do things in certain ways <clears throat> that put the focus back on spending your life in the way that you actually want to spend it. Um, rather than compromising parts of your life in order to achieve uh, things with it that maybe aren't worth the compromise. Um, and... And without it being a philosophical thing that we talked about, I was certainly raised in a family that was like this. We didn't have much money, um, grew up in an extremely modest house. What money... Money was prioritized for travel and having experiences rather than stuff. My parents still are not stuff-oriented at all, uh, you know. I won't be one of those kids having to deal with a house full of stuff when they pass on. I'll be, there will be five pieces of furniture that uh, we want to keep and the rest uh, will be easily disposed of. Um, and so to some extent I grew up understanding this this idea intuitively that you only get so much time in life and and you there is real value in doing things and figuring out a way to live where you can enjoy your day-to-day -day existence because frankly that's what you get <clears throat> and I think for many of us, the pandemic has meant that 
we were forced to slow down and stop doing certain things uh, and, and start appreciating um, smaller things, right? You can't go out to dinner, so you have to start cooking. And to some people, that's a wicked drag, and they never get over it. And to other people, they start to recognize that they are actually quite liking that. Um, but in other ways, the pandemic has made our lives less simple in that it used to be that we would go and have in-person conversations with people in a very simple organic way and now that's mediated for many people through the internet <clears throat> and there's a there's a complication that comes with that and a frustration that comes with that that offsets the fact that maybe you don't have to drive in traffic to work um i think it's interesting to think about voluntary simplicity when it comes to Deciding to do something that's in some sense radically simple, like carving spoons for a living. Um, because the actual making it a living is not simple. And I think, but yet I still think it falls under the camp of radical sim or voluntary I say radical simplicity I don't mean radical simplicity of voluntary simplicity <clears throat> because it's about um, it's about deciding what I want my days to be like and making sure that I make business decisions that keep me within those bounds so to many extents, I'm trying new things, saying yes to opportunities, but there are things that I'm not interested in having my day be, <coughs> and so I'm not pursuing those opportunities, right? So when I built my shop, I did not consider building a shop that I could have a bandsaw in, because I just don't want a bandsaw in my life. I recognize that it's very helpful under certain circumstances. I recognize that I might have found it helpful and that maybe it could have helped me increase my productivity. <clears throat> but when I think about how the bandsaw, uh, what sort of flow the bandsaw would have allowed and how that would have shaped my day, like let's say I had gone with the bandsaw. the increased productivity in the bandsaw to produce spoon blanks would have done a couple things. One is it would have stopped me from furthering my axing practice, which I can't assume is ever done. And I can't assume I've ever reached a level of mastery that is finished with it. <clears throat> and the second is it would have increased that part of the productivity to an extent where I would have, in order to justify using it, I would have increased the other aspects. And I would be spending a lot more of my time hunting down wood, 
chainsawing wood, busting it up, splitting it into billets, processing people's orders. This is exactly what happened with the Christmas tree farm when I decided to try to hire someone to help me in order to um, take some of the strain off of my hands by, you know, essentially having someone else do half of the, the squeezing of hand clippers over the course of the season. And what I found was that it didn't actually work out that way because in order to justify paying them, uh, I needed increased productivity. And so we were doing, I was doing essentially just as much, but then I was also managing somebody else on top of it. And it was <coughs> really not any easier on my... I have it something in my throat. I feel like I inhaled a little floaty seed or something. <clears throat> it did not achieve the effect I wanted, right? Instead, it was... Uh, it increased the need for productivity across the board. And I found myself interacting with more customers, handling more orders, like the complexity went up. And, and so this is where voluntary simplicity comes in. It doesn't mean always working for yourself, but it means recognizing that a tool that increases your productivity in one way, or that simplifies something in one way, has, <coughs> um, has ramifications that often mean you are... Um, tempted to increase productivity across the board with all of the ripple-down effects that that has. Now, obviously, to some extent, your business needs to grow, and I'm definitely handling a level of orders each week now that I... that is probably an order of magnitude greater, 10 times greater than what I was handling three years ago. Um, but as I grow, I'm trying to be clever about it so that I'm doing things that actually make the flow easier, that ask me to do sort of fewer things or um, so here's a good example with the spoon of the month club even though you know I'm doing 45 things for it by and large those 45 interactions are simpler than the interactions I have to do for other orders because they're repeat interactions. So the amount that I need to type and the amount <coughs> that I need to explain. Why do I feel like one of the dogs is rolled in something? Did you roll in something dead? Hmm. The amount that I need to explain, <coughs> the amount that I need to look up, the amount that I need to double check is vastly simpl simplified 
and while it's slightly less money than if I'd done blanks, I'm also handling far less wood. So, um, so there's a trade-off there, right? And, and yeah, I wouldn't want to do that all the time. So this brings up an interesting point, which is how do you balance the gains of voluntary simplicity with the gains of, of, of thoughtful diversification? Because in other places I've talked a lot about how important it is to <clears throat> make sure you do a range of things and diversify what you do, and that naturally leads to complication. And so I think the key to me <coughs> is <coughs> to diversify as much as makes sense or feels good, while at the same time making sure that each of those things that you diversify into is as simple as possible. And that's both within a business and from business to business. So I have three, four different businesses. And each one of them I work to keep as simple as possible. Right? I work to keep the flow of the work and the payment and all that as simple as possible. And for each of the businesses, the payment systems are different because the realities of it are different. Some of my businesses, like the magazine, it's just automatic PayPal payment. That's the only option because that's how I keep it simple. For my spoon carving, um, <clears throat> for the spoon carving, the payment is in person by check because that's actually simpler than creating invoices for everybody through PayPal. So, uh, so within each of the businesses, I keep it simple. Now, within a business, if there are different branches within the business, <clears throat> that's also potentially a good thing, but I keep each of those branches as simple as possible. So, what's a good example of that? <clears throat> okay, uh, with the Christmas tree farm. Come on, dogs. I find it helpful to to offer trees and wreaths and greens for sale, balsam greens for sale. But you can only buy the greens in 50 pound bales and you can only buy the wreaths in three sizes and three or four different decoration styles. Um, the sky is not the limit. I keep a strict lid on that and that helps me keep things in inventory that I need and it also helps me uh, just do a better job of keeping things simple by keeping the different aspects of it simple. But it doesn't make sense to keep it so simple where I say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to do the reeds at all. Now there is some of that in the sense that I used to do roping, garland, and it just didn't feel like a good use of my time and it was harder on my body. And so I cut it out. There used to be other things I'd do for the Christmas tree farm as well, and I've cut them out. So there's both this process of simplification and diversification. And I think the two are actually 
working hand in hand to create the overall voluntary simplicity that I think is so helpful. So let's get back to the voluntary simplicity for a minute before I wrap up. The thing that I think is so powerful about voluntary simplicity, as I understand it now, is that it provides you with freedom. Financial freedom, in the sense that you can use the idea to create a life where you have enough and can spend your time how you want to spend your time. Um, It gives you uh, freedom in the sense that uh, in having enough, you are relatively free of the worries that come from not having enough. And it's possible to not have enough and be earning a lot of money if your spending is out of alignment with that. And the other thing about voluntary simplicity is that, and I touched on this just a second ago, is that it gives you the freedom to do what you want to do with your time. Um, Once you can get your financial situation to a place where you can make that work. And, and voluntary simplicity, to my mind, is key to doing that. But it is possible to, to trap yourself in this. And I'll be curious, in, upon reading the book further, if I feel like this is going on with the book. I, I don't necessarily think it is, but I'll tell my own version. <clears throat> like I said, I grew up with the idea that you live simply, you live within your means, and you have the freedom to, you know, spend your time somewhat as you wish. But both of my parents definitely, you know, worked worked for the state, um, and that was part of the stability that they brought. Um, and And so I grew up with this idea that if I wanted to be free in my time, that I needed to, that it was only going to be possible if I lived a life that was so simple that, that I was going to have to make a trade-off between doing certain things with my life and... Um, or having certain things, or achieving certain things, and having that freedom. That that they were not both possible. Um, Right, in that I assumed, and this, you know, this was largely reinforced when we were farmers. The assumption when you're farmers is that you're going to be poor. Like, the price of having the freedom to be a farmer, if you want to be, is that you're going to be poor. And... It's taken me a long time to let go of that ideology, I'd almost say it was. This baseline assumption I had that if I wanted to do this thing I wanted to do, if I wanted to do the thing that I wanted to do on my own terms, that I was going to be poor doing it. And I think our culture reinforces that at every step, right? The poor starving artist, the the poor farmer, the... (laughs) 
the poor craftsmen. And to some extent, we revere them because they are poor. And, and that was a trap that I found myself in, in the sense that I was trapping myself. Because what I feel like is true is that what I feel like is true now is that by and large how much money when you when you work for yourself like that how much money you make has a lot to do with luck it has a lot to do with how good you are but it also has a lot to do with how much what story you're telling yourself about money and how much you're willing to let yourself make and when you assume you're going to be poor, there's a lot of stories you're telling yourself about, well, this is, you know, this isn't for me and this isn't for me. And you close doors on yourself and you don't seek out opportunities and you don't create the, the foundation for a life that can earn you more and more money over time. Now, in the era of social media, this is more possible than ever to lay that foundation. And so I'm extremely lucky to be doing it in this time. But I still have had to confront, as I have started to make more and more money each year, I've had to confront my own stories to myself about how much money I should be making. And... Um, and it's not that I want money at all costs, but that it's that I recognize that my story of voluntary simplicity included the idea that um, that I was only going to be making so much money, that there was just going to be some sort of limit, I don't know, $35,000 a year. Let's make up something arbitrary, right? Like, that's probably the limit I told myself in terms of my own self-worth, in terms of what I was charging. And it's also important to note that it had nothing to do with... Uh, it had nothing to do with work ethic, right? So all of you are thinking, well, Emmett, you work too hard. You know, that's not voluntary simplicity to be working so hard. The point of voluntary simplicity is that you don't have to work hard. That was never part of the equation for me. Like, I was a farmer. You work hard as a farmer, right? Like working, the, the hard work that you do has always been divorced in my mind from the amount of money I earn. And sometimes it's more tightly tied, right? When I'm cranking out spoon blanks, I'm stacking up the bills. But, um, but in the big sweep of thinking about money coming in over the course of my career and how I can do that smartly, um, I have had to really question the, the walls I had put up around myself about money and voluntary simplicity. Um, so I think as we, uh, think about how voluntary simplicity can bring good things into our lives, I think we also need to make sure that we're not creating even subconscious barriers to um, 
to these things. It doesn't have to be money. For some people, it might be happiness, right? I think we end up sort of assuming that only a certain amount of certain things are going to come to us. For some people, it's money. For other people, it's happiness. For other people, it's success, right? And we have these stories that we tell ourselves about what is coming for me. And I've always assumed that, like, not much money was coming for me, but that a lot of happiness was coming and a lot of success. And I've had to really work on that part of me that uh, didn't believe that money money was, was coming. And really what cracked that open for me was having my wife go back to school and all of a sudden being the sole breadwinner and having a, a mortgage. And even though we'd set ourselves up smartly for it with a tenant and all that, and it was still, it was a stretch and it was, it made me really do a lot of soul searching about, you know, okay, I need to push hard. And if I'm pushing hard, what's it for? And, and am I going to need to be pushing this hard my whole life? Or can I get to a place where I don't have to push this hard? Um, am I going to need to be this stressed my whole life? Or can I get to a place soon where... I don't have to be as stressed. Uh, and what's going to do that for me? Whereas other people, I think, are going to be bumping up against, um, as they think about voluntary simplicity, they're going to be bumping up against stories they tell themselves about, uh, about how happy they're going to be. Um, and they're always going to be questioning whether they should be allowed to be this happy. Um, so lots to think about, and I think now, uh, more than ever, uh, voluntary simplicity has been thrust upon us and also taken from us in different ways, depending on your circumstances, and it's always worth thinking about. And as I read the book, I'm looking forward to thinking about it more, and perhaps I'll discuss with a follow-up essay uh, episode what I think about it. Um, and very foolishly, I wore a long sleeve shirt on this walk, and now I'm all sweaty. So, I'm gonna change that. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk tomorrow. <laughs>